Welcome back to another episode of the Content Lab. I am your host, Liz Moorhead, Impact's Director of Web and Interactive Content. And as always, I'm joined by Impact Editorial Content Manager and Expert Whisperer, John Becker. How's it going, man? Expert Whisperer? What does that mean? Uh, I have literally been trying to get content out of Bob for like two years. You show up and like it's all roses. So I'm a little bitter about it. That's just how Mm. it's going to be. It's all in the whispers. How you doing, Liz? Oh, you know, hanging in there. We actually also have two people with us today also. I've got Impact Content Marketing Specialist, or Intent, wait, is it Content Marketing Specialist? Consultant, Brian, help me. What do you do? What do you think you do here? consultant, coach, any of those words really work. Nice little therapist there, all right. And then we've got Impact Video Trainer, Will Schultz, also here, hi. Howdy, howdy guys. Awesome. So, well, why don't we just ask that question of everybody since uh, the last time we recorded, the whole world caught on fire. So how's it all, how's everyone doing? Good, right? <laughs> Everyone's fine? Yeah, for sure. Wow, chatty bunch, guys. Let's try that again. How are you today? <laughs> Strange days we're living in, Those Strange days, indeed. We're all at home. We, you moved up to Connecticut hoping to get to be in the office and have all the perks of Impact HQ. And then the world turned upside down, as you said. Now I'm sitting at a card table on a metal folding chair. Very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Two short weeks ago, two short weeks ago, I got to be traveling abroad and now I'm living in my parents' house. We have three square meals a day. My mom feeds me at 6 p.m. Central Time if you guys want to tune in. It's actually pretty good. Usually she got an air fryer. So, I mean, this is literally what we talk about. Are you still doing the boot camp at 5 a.m.? Yeah, 5.30 this morning. We did a upper body today with a YouTube video. And I was using eight pound weights. And then I was using six pound weights. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Brian? Nothing's really changed for me. I don't travel internationally like Will um, as often. Bitter, bitter. Okay. Working out at home <laughs> is different. Uh, the only time I really go outside is like to run and then actively like make little segues around people as I pass it, like cross them on the path. So that's been fun to try to avoid everyone at all times. Have you, have you guys... Brian, have you noticed that like while on runs, people are more chatty with you right now or not really? Because I'll get like, people will like stop me and we won't be close, but they'll be like, hey, hey, you want to have a human interaction quick? (laughs) I had that. I had that three times yesterday while I was out doing a trail hike and you just have people that are like, hi, hi, you're a person. Yeah. I, I too am a person. It's like listening to dogs bark at each other when they hear one over the fence. Like, hey, I'm also a dog. Like it's wild my girlfriend and i wore matching shirts yesterday i saw unintentionally um and we were running uptown in charlotte and we ran through like a group of people and they were like you gotta you gotta have pride in yourself look at these two people they're they're running they're taking care of themselves like so they didn't directly address me in any fashion but they were talking about me which was interesting yeah Number one, uh, knowing your girlfriend, that was a hundred percent intentional. She makes you like, oh my god, how that, how that happened? Like, no, <laughs> that was a hundred percent planned. Because I yeah, saw the photo op, she was very proud of herself. I saw it in her <laughs> eyes. 
Uh, John, how's it going at home with the kids and everything? Uh, it's going pretty good. I, I mean, I think they really like it. They're adjusting to, um, you know, what, what I guess is being called distance learning. But for them, it's just kind of homeschool, which is perfect. And my wife is a teacher, so she's home as well and checks in with her students, but then is also working with our kids, which is super fun. So they're, this is like the best thing for them. Um, ask me again in a week, but for now it's, uh, it's going great. Yeah, I don't have much fun to report. Um, let's see, I, um, I unpacked all the boxes. It's like record time of unpacking my apartment, which is kind of exciting. Last time I moved, my all of my books rotted in boxes for nine months. So you know, all it took was a pandemic, guys. It was <laughs> great. Are you still shopping for dogs, Liz? I've been virtually shopping for dogs for a really long time now. Although I did get to pet a husky yesterday, and I almost stole it, and it was fine. <laughs> and then the day before that was a Jack Russell Terrier. Like I'm basically making my way through all of the dogs in New Haven, and they're all off leash, and they just come over and they're so happy. And it's this is not about me. <clears throat> I'm an adult. I'm awesome. I do not succumb to puppies. Everything's fine. You know what? Speaking of which, flawless segue, that leads us right into today's topic. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Uh, but there is a reason why I asked you two guys to be here today, because I got a request from a fellow content manager that both Will and I know. His name is Cody. And he said, I could use some pointers on how to prioritize my growing content calendar I've suddenly become one of the busier employees at my office since content marketing is very much needed in an office supply company. Suddenly, home office equipment is in high demand. However, my hours and my salary have been reduced, but my workload has drastically increased. And he was looking for some pointers around that. And quite frankly, I don't think Cody is unique. I mean, I know at Impact, we've had to just set everything on fire that we were doing and completely start over from scratch. And Brian and Will, I'm sure you guys are navigating this with your clients as well in terms of, you know, how do you reprioritize? How do you start over? How do you figure out what you're supposed to be doing? And then how do you prioritize that mountain of things that you need produced yesterday? So I'm going to open the floor to you guys. What have you been talking about with your clients? The, the big message that I've had to my clients has been, we need to keep our initial strategy from an SEO perspective. And while that might not be something that we promote on social as well, that would be potentially different content, a different type of content that we're putting on social. So we have to be a little bit more careful there. Um, we do still want to have the ability to gain SEO traction over this down period of our, our primary content strategy that's related to big five content, that's really related to sales content. Anything that we're doing around COVID-19 or that ties in to something that's outside of that traditional schedule, we're typically looking at as like above and beyond, which makes it inherently more difficult when you have a lot less time and energy. So in those situations, we're really trying to see who can we get to bring into this content creation process. This has been something that a lot of clients and a lot of people that I work with have struggled to do previously because there hasn't been urgency behind it. There's not been an importance of multiple people creating content because you have someone that is dedicated to the position. Now it's a necessity in order to have content. And you have a lot of people that are doing different things in their roles, right? 
you have people that aren't doing their primary roles, they are not allowed to do their primary roles. Their prime candidates to start to work into uh, the content creation process and then you act as a content manager more in those situations versus a content creator. But it's, it's definitely been a unique trial because I think the, the comment was, was well stated where there is less time and more content needed than there has been in a long time. I think it's funny how you put that too. You know, we've been telling all these people like you need a content manager, you need to do this, you need to do that. And yes, well, I'm going to be coming to you here in just a second. You need to be doing video. And now people are realizing, yeah, guys, we weren't kidding. You actually need to do these things. So there's this scramble to restructure, pivot, reimagine your strategy. And, and yeah, well, I want to hear about that from the video side of things. Yeah, it was an interesting week last week reconnecting with all of my clients because I had taken the previous week off. So there was two weeks of dead space where we were catching up and it was the funniest two weeks to be off of talking to each other for the long, the longest time. But pre-call, it was so interesting to me that I was, I had like two very polarizing bins of people. I had two people, two, like one bin of people that was just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I felt like there was so much to be done. And then I had this bin of people that were like, we don't really know what to do now. We didn't, record like we didn't record enough footage before we just got sent home and I don't really have much of a backlog of editing to do and I'm sort of twiddling my thumbs and and it was like mind-blowing to me how some people were sinking and drowning and other people were like wondering if they were going to have like 40 hours of work to cover for the week and after the call Brian I'm totally in your camp that it was like we can make content that has to do with, with COVID, especially if it's absolutely necessary in your sales process. But the last thing we should do right now is let off the brakes of what our regular content is because it, there's a lot of shiny objects around right now. And I don't want to go make another capital one. Like this is what we're doing to coronavirus email with a video in there. That's, that's going to be totally irrelevant in a week. Like we still need to focus on making evergreen content and we still need to care about like what, what actually matters to, what's going to matter a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. And people didn't have that mentality as much as I really thought they would um, on those first calls. It's interesting. I was just working with a colleague this afternoon and looking at a piece of writing and it had nothing to do with COVID whatsoever, but she had sort of shoehorned in an introduction of these are crazy times and every, you know, everything's kind of up in the air um, that had no relevance was not, Re referenced again anywhere in the piece. Um, and I think th th those are wise words from both of you because we want whatever we're producing to continue to have relevance into the future. And if you open something in, granted, God willing, July or September or whenever all of this madness happens, and, and that's the first line, you're going to think, well, this is just dated content that, you know, they don't really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on right now. So it is that sort of, you know, tricky balance of, the elephant that's in the room and, and affecting all of our lives so greatly, but also business as usual and how we as businesses, as you know, how we interact with clients, um, acknowledge one while still doing the other. Yeah. And for my clients, anyway, the biggest variability that's happened is how obviously um, the sales and service side of the organization's lives have changed. Some people have a, a sales process that's going on just as much as regularly as it was before COVID, at least right now. And some people like office interiors, for example, have 
they had door to door salesmen before two weeks ago and their entire sales process and how they service and like install furniture is completely different than what it needed to be before that. So Cody, the guy that was the, um, the content manager that said the piece that you to tee this off Liz is one of the, in the camp of I'm drowning because I just got pulled into a bunch of sales team conversations about how to empower them to still be effective uh, in an eight hour workday because all of them are twiddling their thumbs wondering how they're going to go knock on doors necessarily. So it's, it's just like this range of how people think they should react from assisting their sales and service side of their organizations. I think that's the key word there. It's react. It's a very much like a reactive, almost defensive crouch posture of trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to do. Totally. Liz, what do you see happening at impact with our editorial plans? Oh, not much. Everything's the same. Haven't changed anything. <laughs> uh, Impact is a bit of a, a tricky beast. And, and that's part of the reason why I wanted Brian and Will here, because we have one thing that works to our advantage, which is the volume at which we produce. So we are publishing seven days a week, even on Christmas, multiple times a day, usually between, it can range anywhere between three and five pieces a day, depending on how hefty the calendar is. So we have a little bit more wiggle room to be more reactive, to, to be able to layer more pieces and variables on top of what it is that we're doing. Um, so in terms of what I'm seeing at impact, I mean, what I'm seeing is essentially what, for some reason, then our VP of marketing and Bob have entrusted me to do, um, which is I've really had to navigate, you know, what are the changes that we're making? And so that's come in a couple of different pieces. One, I deprioritize certain things. There are certain pieces that either got deprioritized because if we were to publish them right now, they'd just come right off as tone deaf. A perfect example is I had this great interview with Bree, who was our COO. We had done this great talk about how we were addressing internal communication challenges right now at Impact. And it no longer made sense because guess what? The entire company is now remote. Yes, we're still dealing with those changes, but that is really not the most pressing thing we're talking about. So we shelved that, I put her in front of John and had a conversation about how leaders navigate these uncertain times and keep their company from you know, falling apart. So there are those things like that. The other thing too, and this is where I think my journalism background helps a little bit, is that essentially, poor John, I'm so sorry, I have abused you so much the past two weeks. I will give you the biggest hug when I'm allowed to see you again in the year 2032. Um, but. The other thing too is I've asked him essentially to go out and sit down in front of our experts who don't have time to write the articles that we need them to write, uh, who are busy trying to keep their own parts of the business, not necessarily a book, but you know, functional, moving forward, you know, working with clients, doing what they need to do and getting those stories out of them. And I think that's one of the things that's been really fascinating about this whole experience is you know, we are at a time right now where people are willing to be more human, more honest, and more open. And selfishly, I want to capitalize that. I want to know why Marcus Sheridan is seeing parallels between uh, 2008 and right now. I want to hear from people like Bree and like Bob, you know, they are going home every night looking in the mirror and going, holy shit, what are we going to do? You know, I want to speak to those moments because the moment, at least from our audience, that we can create that thing where they go, wow, they really understand emotionally where I'm coming from. I'm also staying up in the middle of the night trying to figure out like, 
how am I going to make people feel secure? How am I going to stay in my job? How am I going to keep people in their jobs? How am I going to make people understand that we need to make big, crazy decisions, but also keep it so we're growing and also and also and also. We have a very distinct audience of a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of scary things right now. Um, and so it's a bit different from our clients. Yes, we are sticking with certain parts of our strategy to keep that SEO thing moving forward like you were talking about, Brian. But there is so much that we need to be talking about right now just for our audience that I think is critically important. So I've spent a lot of time putting my managing editor hat on and figuring out, you know, this is something I encourage a lot of content managers to do, become vocal and say things like, that sounds like a really good story. Sit in front of me and talk to me about that for 15 minutes and then go away. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, the most critical component that you just like pointed out is that it has to be personal and it has to be helpful even like right now like to John's point that the article that he was talking about earlier where it just seems like a, a poor take trying to capitalize on the current climate and something that's just inaccurate right now doesn't make sense in any capacity and the content that you are creating uh, I've pivoted with a lot of my clients to do just like easy quick content like videos like just a simple screen share and throwing it on social have performed really well because right now people want to see human interaction and it breaks down those barriers. It gets you into someone's personal space. Um, and that's not anything that I do any type of consulting with. Like that's all Will's court, anything related to video. But in talking to clients, they are like, I have an opportunity here to talk to my client base and my customers. And they're all dealing with this problem right now. And I don't know if I can spend 12 hours on a blog but I know I can do a video, a screen share video, walking them through steps on how to do this right now that'll help your work remote team. And the client told me that was one of the most successful social posts they've had like in the history of the company. And it was, they've sent a ton of, this is an MSP IT company and they sent people home. And now you have a bunch of people don't know how to use Microsoft Teams or they're on the Microsoft suite but they don't necessarily have like the collaboration that they had when they're all in the office together. And there's a whole functionality behind teams, similar to how we use Slack that is not being capitalized right on right now. And just a simple content piece like that, that is from the perspective of an expert, but also helpful made so much sense for their audience. Yeah. I, um, I want to speak to the point that you said too about like the threshold of production quality right now is lower than it's ever been. I mean, the daily show with Trevor Noah is literally taking place on his couch right now. And uh, Stephen Colbert's stuff is coming from like at home studio sort of shoot. And people right now it's about the agility of information and the substance of it way more than it is about production quality. And I've been preaching that for so long anyway, but now like the C levels, the old folk that, that were the ones that were sort of naysaying the videographer that thought they could just do scrappy stuff and still be effective. They don't really have another option at this point. Like their videographer is now living in their bedroom or their living room trying to create content for them. And <clears throat> this is just the first time that that's been the absolute norm all the way up to like our, our late night talk show hosts. I think also to Brian's point, it's good to point out that, 
social traffic is is super high right now. Everyone's home and working from home and more likely to have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter open on their desktop with less, you know, less fear of retribution from, from the boss. Um, I spoke to our Facebook ad specialist, Ali Parmley, uh, on, on Monday, um, and she talked about how first it's sort of this one-two punch where a bunch of businesses are pulling back their ad spend from Facebook, but also Facebook sells you know, sort of media buys, it's, it's real estate. And the more page sessions that, that are taking place, the more spaces there are to put ads. And so suddenly ads are way cheaper, but the reach is actually way bigger because, you know, to go back to Brian's point, you put something on social, that's where everyone is right now. Because as we started off talking about human interactions being a, at a premium right now, that's the closest a lot of people can get. Yeah, and every business that I'm talking to is saying the same thing that you just said, Brian, which is like, we have an opportunity to talk to our customer base right now. And we want to really capitalize on that one way or another. And this is a funny little anecdote, but like three of my clients last week wanted to make content that was teaching their clients how to move from in office to at home. And and so it's just, I, I told the other two what the, uh, the original idea was from, I'm like, just so you know, you're doing something that's a bit saturated. Like everyone has that same idea of like, oh, we could educate our clients on how to be better in-home in home office people and how to collaborate better in it. And it was kind of like, it's something that was a bit saturated. So I needed to sort of WCC them through understanding like, and the most thought-provoking question that I had asked that week was, what can you provide to your client base right now that's going to allow them to stay in business to keep giving you money? And it was one of those that sort of like kept people on their heels where they're like, Oh, I guess in essence, that is what we're doing right now. We're not just like trying to teach people to like be good at in-home offices, but we need to literally make sure that they stay in business so that we stay in business and impact not to be meta here, but we're doing the exact same thing with like town halls with our client base and like trying to give financial advice and human resources advice to our clients so that our clients can stay successful and pay us more money. And that's essentially, in essence, what we're trying to do with the content that we're creating right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also say too, you, you hit upon something when you were talking about that, you know, the threshold of what is acceptable quality. It, it reminds me a lot of something that I've been trying to push people as both, I know I'm about to see a face from Brian, from Brian and from you, Will, about like being yourself, being human, being as authentically you as possible. I know you feel attacked, Brian, and I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Look at that bitter face. I wish people could see it. Um, but it, it, it's a personal attack. I know. I know all two of your feelings are hurt and I apologize. I'll write, it, <laughs> I'll write you a letter later of apology. Um, but in all seriousness though, it, it's something where I, I encourage people to do things like what you're talking about, Will, because I think it also creates this subconscious, you know, dialogue humming beneath the surface of we are all going through this together. You know, I think it really forces people now to stop putting on that, you know, John, we've talked about this, that weird, like, human suit, like, I'm going to sit down at my computer and be me, but better. And like, I say heretofore now, like, we're not doing that anymore. We're just being ourselves. And I think it creates an awesome opportunity to capitalize on creating that human connection that I don't think a lot of people were willing to do anymore because they were fundamentally afraid to do it. But I think at that same time, we do have to have that sort of double vision of 
being willing to share ourself and, and create human connection, but also to take one step back and realize, are we saying something that's already been said in, in you know, a saturated marketplace? Or are we attempting to force our own feelings into a place where it doesn't belong vis-a-vis -vis the, the blog that I mentioned at the beginning? So it is, I, I completely agree with you, Liz, but there is also, I think, that sort of self-editorializing that has, or self, um, you know, self, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to kind of be critical and, and uh, aware of your own voice so that it doesn't steer you down a path that's already too well-trodden. I agree with that, kind of. So here's, here's, this is going back like the 80,000 foot view though, like is anybody in any industry really saying anything that hasn't been said before to some degree? You know, like let's think about agencies right now. A lot of them, I've been reading all of their articles and what they're putting out. A lot of them are saying the same thing. But what it comes down to is, yeah, are, are you adding something new? Yes. But are, I think the way people edge that out is to your point, yes, you know, you've got to keep yourself an editorial check. But I think people are more than welcome to come to the table and answer the same question that somebody else may have answered, but do it in a way that's more honest, more transparent, and more thorough. It's not necessarily the fact that you have to avoid having the same discussion. I just think you have to have a better answer. Sure. I, I, no, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. Okay. I'll leave I, it there. Are we going to like fight afterward? Like, are we going to go <laughs> out back and you're just going to like sling semicolons at me and be like, this is why you're wrong. I will not. We're beefing. It's okay. We're beefing. Well, okay. Let's move away from our beef. John, I actually do have a question for you. So I've been forcing you to do a lot more subject matter uh, expert interviews recently. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. How are you managing the increased flow of interviews with people who are quite frankly, a lot busier than they used to be? Are you getting any pushback? What, what are those experiences like? You know, and, and I think this is going to resolve our beef, Liz. Uh, if if it has existed for the last like two and a half minutes, I'm devastated. Um, which is, which is this, you know? Yes, I think the people that I'm talking to are extremely busy, and I, I always try to be um, very accommodating and appreciative of anyone's time. But at the same time, I, I think they are all exceedingly eager to talk about what's on their mind. Um, and yes, I'm steering them into questions that are specific to their area of expertise. But I'm actually beginning every interview that I've done in the past week, and I've done maybe like you know, six in, in three or four days. Um, with the, I, I'm beginning and ending with the same question. And, and I'm beginning with, um, how do you think businesses are feeling right now? And it's interesting because I, I, I didn't really intend to do that, but I kept building these interview questions and these trajectories with that starting point because the answers have been very interesting and they've been extremely varied. I thought I would kind of get the same sort of rote response each time that that would feel uh, maybe a little bit redundant, but I, I've kept it in there because it is um, because it's yielded so many interesting insights. Uh, and then I've ended with, "What's your biggest piece of advice for companies out there right now?" Also, you know, hugely open-ended, and I also anticipated that there might be a lot of um, repetition, uh, but I haven't seen that at all. So. Yes, I think people are really busy, but I think people also really want to talk about this and really want a place to sort of process 
their feelings and their feelings uh, both personally and professionally. And um, so I haven't seen pushback per se, just scheduling difficulties. I was going to say, I think now is like the most critical time to show value to your organization versus like any other time that we can think of. And if you're able to contribute to content um, and you don't typically contribute to content, you're going to add more value to what you're bringing to the table for your company. You're going to show that you're invested. And when people are getting laid off, when budget cuts are happening, like that becomes a critical component of like promoting yourself on a personal level and certainly helps from a perspective of getting buy-in for creating content. What about you, Will? Have you seen any pushback? I know you have your two bins of people. Pushback on what? Well, just anything in terms of the pivots or the recommendations that you're making, or even just to creating video content in general. <clears throat> the thing I've seen most in the video world is sales teams and sales managers in particular, all of a sudden having some real urgency to be a part of the conversation. And so in the same vein of trying to keep the videographers on track, I've tasked them with pulling in sales managers or sales leaders of some sort to, to own this within their own orgs. So there's a lot of internal sales team for video training going on right now. Um, there's a lot of coming up with the content that people feel obligated to have, like sales team members feel obligated to have to either maintain existing client base or still prospect in whatever the, the new situation is for their uh, particular industry or business. And it's now like the sales lead, the sales managers finally giving the videographer the, the teeth or like the authority to actually move the needle in how video should be used in the sales world. So it's a lot of whiteboarding, like how the sales process is different. It's a lot of trying to find anchor points within the sales process of like, if we're a heating and AC company and we're losing five on-site appointments every single day right now, because people are worried about having on-site visits at their homes, what do we need to, to mitigate those problems and mitigate those losses of appointments? And so it's coming up with like 80% videos that have to do with this is the process that happens before, during, and after your visit from your perspective. And now the sales team for the first time in a long time are like hungry for this stuff because they absolutely needed to retain new accounts and keep the, keep the existing ones. So Will, when you're talking about sales teams suddenly wanting to get involved, how does that mean? Are you talking about like suddenly they want to be creating videos, suddenly they want to be involved heavily in the process? What does that actually look like? Because I have a similar situation happening here at Impact, but I think it, it kind of, it shows itself differently in different ways. Yeah, well, again, to go back to my point that every business has a very different, COVID has created a very different dynamic for every single industry's sales and service departments, but some more than others need this stuff yesterday and others just see where, it's, where things are headed. But I see sales team members being a part of the conversation now because they see numbers going down. They, they feel like they need to engage with their existing book of clients more than they have. And certain things like logistically just can't happen anymore. So, I mean, I've like, oh, I had door to door salespeople up until two days ago. Right. And that's, that no longer can, can function. People are, are genuinely terrified of like maintaining their jobs. So now all of a sudden we want to have a conversation about video because it feels like a requirement. And so we have sales team members, or excuse me, we have videographers that are leading like sales team 
one-to-one video trainings and just finding ways to empower people to try and continue to do their job in whatever new setting or dynamic that they have um, to, to do it. And that's why sales team members, before they're turning to content, I think they turn to video because it feels a lot more immediate, it feels a lot more genuine and human to human and a little bit more just like transparent, especially with their, their existing book of clients. The one thing that's been really helpful for me, at least with our sales team and, and quite frankly with other teams as well, it's been a good reminder of what is the best use of their time. So we have, as you both know, we have a requirement and impact that everybody contributes content at the company. Um, you know, whether that's done via interview or writing or podcasting or however it's done, everybody has requirements that they need to fulfill. And what it has happened, and one of the things that has ended up getting deprioritized is some of the topics I've deprioritized have had nothing to do with whether or not they were relevant, have had nothing to do with whether or not they were emotionally tone deaf given the, con- the, the social context of what's happening. But some of it is, you need to justify to me why I need to take time away from selling to create this piece. And that has always been, you know, I, I had to spend before I ended up in my role as the content director here, I thought I was being punished when I was sent to the sales team as a content strategist. I actually said that to Tom DeCipio. I'm like, what did I do? Am I being punished? Why am I being sent to sales when I want to stay on the brand team? And it ended up radically changing my entire perspective on what I do. And that is if your content doesn't make money, then what the hell are you doing? Like, what is it that you're doing? Every piece of content has to have a business case for existing. And it's not that I got lazy and it's not that the strategy that we had in place up until 10 days ago wasn't where it needed to be, but it has forced me to say, okay, am I really clued into what leadership says our revenue goals are right now? What parts of the business are really suffering? Where do we need to push? Where do we need to pull? And it also makes it easier for me to have those conversations like you were talking about, Will, like we're where people want to now create content. So let's make sure it's worth their time. Let's make sure they understand why they're not taking that sales call, not making that video to a prospect, not prospecting at all. And instead they're sitting down and, and you know, giving me something I can use and publish. So it seems like this is a situation that is just sort of sharpening the conversations that we're having at, at any time. I mean, I think at any time, there is, as you said, Liz, there is a, a, a tendency of, of people at Impact to say, like, you know, why are we doing this? Why am I asked to do to produce content? Um, is this content correct, directly going to contribute to to revenue? Um, so it seems like the situation that we're in is just sort of sharpening those points and, and making those, making sure that we have even better answers. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I would also say, though, that those are conversations, I think, and you've You've heard me have them. You've seen them occur. You know, there's always a little bit of friction, I think, that occurs because, you know, asking people to create content is always asking them to get out of their day to day. You know, it it is even if they see the abstract value of it, they understand at the buy in level, the things that we teach at our workshops, you know, all of that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, though, they have to have that moment where they have to set aside the thing that they are working on to do the thing we are asking them to do. That's why I like to joke that we are teachers that trick you into thinking you want to do your homework. You don't want to, but we're going to have you do it. And it, it's, it's a good thing to have these discussions. I welcome them and I want, I think every content manager should walk in with that posture, invite the conversations, invite that discomfort because they think it allows you to start talking about, you're either A, going to show them the value or B, you're going to have that moment where you go, you know what? 
yeah, then if this isn't what we should be talking about right now, talk to me about what it is that we should be talking about. Like what, what's the question you're getting right now that you want to answer? Hmm. Yeah. And I think people that aren't typically interested in being into the conversation now are pulling themselves in because of, I call it like fear-based urgency almost. And so John, to your point, this is the perfect time to sharpen the, the answers that we're, we're giving and the content that we're making by it, it becomes more obvious now than ever and more required now than ever to only make content video or written that's going to move the needle in sales at some capacity. That's where like a lot of businesses heads are at right now. And then it's, my job and then Brian's job as well to make sure that we're just staying in the bowling alley bumpers of like, okay, we're seeing the short term of what we retroactively need because we're reacting to situations. But I want to make sure that this is going to fit into the long term goals here. This is going to be something that's at least evergreen to the point of being still relevant and valuable six months from now or a year from now, and not just something that we're just plugging one time so that it never ever has a purpose again. But it's interesting because we might be seeing different directives depending on the medium. Before, Will, you talked about the threshold for quality in terms of video being being low, that you know it's about production, being human, getting things out there. But we're also talking about producing evergreen content. And I was going to ask Liz and, and Brian and, and Will as well, if we feel that that threshold is also decreased for the written word, because we're talking about producing written content and, and maybe not necessarily the threshold of quality, but our are the rules different during this time? Are we allowed to be more personal, allowed to be more vulnerable in our work, especially when we're producing things that might be topical and germane to what's going on right now, but also, as Will said, evergreen. I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask because I've literally published articles where I talk about crying in my car over a boy. So like I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> um, but shtick aside, I. Again, I think this is stuff people should have already been doing anyway. When people, when I ask people, you know, why can't you talk about these things? They usually can't give me an answer. Now, granted, there's, there's always that situational awareness that somebody needs to maintain as a writer, as a content creator about, you know, whether or not, is this something I should be talking about? You know, you always have to have that kind of internal gut check and your instinct is usually right as long as it's not coming from a fear-based posture. In terms of the quality though, I, I think... I, I think I'm in a more luxurious position than most in that I am very lucky to have a really strong editorial team where we are in a position where I don't have to babysit. Like I can just tell you, John, like I gave you a list of when this all started happening. And I said, I need you to go out and get, what was it, like seven or eight different stories. I trust you enough to go out there, get them, get them staged, get them written. And I don't have to check because that's the type of relationship we have and we've hired the right people to do that. I think that there are certain things that I'm a little less stringent about, but I become, this is where it gets tricky. In some ways, yes, I have lowered the bar, but not from a like typos style, that kind of stuff. But I'm more like, let's get it out there. We just need to get this done. We need to get this in front of people. But I've become a lot more keyed in on, as you've seen in our Slack channel, like, make sure the headline is formatted like this. We've got to be getting these keywords in. We need to make sure these are explicit. Like my quality meter has gone way up in certain areas and then I've loosened certain other areas. So it's, again, it's a push and a pull dynamic mm -hmm. because the priorities have shifted. Yeah, I would say like the written quality content from a SEO perspective does not change regardless of circumstance or climate. 
Um, and as long as you're within the guidelines or the barriers of what you've kind of already established as your, your editorial style or your like writing style, then you have some flexibility there. Um, where I really see, and Will can kind of back this, the personality coming through more and more right now especially is on the video side the written content more or less with what i'm seeing with clients is going to stay pretty similar in terms of the structure the format the tone that we're going to be using with the exception of like one-off coronavirus updates those are i'm not reviewing those 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 are a dime a dozen everybody has to have something out and otherwise you just appear as if you're not you know you don't have a pulse um but other than that, the, the traditional written content that I'm seeing, the quality doesn't need to go down because we're going to have this be a long lasting content piece. It's going to take two to three months potentially to rank well for any of these pieces of written content uh, outside of like impact because we have like really high demand authority. We have, you know, we just get published very quickly and index very quickly. For a lot of clients, it's going to take the two to three months to see the results of that content anyways. And so we want to get that process started as soon as possible right now so that when things do normalize in the coming months, we're seeing the rewards versus just starting to ramp back up content quality production. Yeah, in the video world, I think the only threshold that's really lowered is just what the production quality looks like, right? Everything else is still just as important as it was pre-COVID, and if not more now, because everyone feels obligated to do something now. I, th I think a lot of organizations really are, are realizing that it's important to double down on their content. And like to your point, Brian, there's so much COVID info that's a dime a dozen right now that's just like murking the waters almost of what's important and what's not important to read through depending on the sources that it's coming from. Um, but for the video world, the thing that's changed more than anything else is just how the end product has to look. And other than that, like everything else should be just as on point as it was prior to this. It's, it should just be, I mean, with maybe a little glance of being slightly more human, slightly more genuine, slightly more like we're all in this together, solidarity vibes, which everything kind of has right now. Um, other than that though, video is business as usual as well. And that goes back to, to Will, what you said before, how that's um, a message that you've been proselytizing for a long time, that video does not need to be super, um, high production in order to be effective. And in fact, when it goes back to, to social media, in fact, the less polished something can look, the more it blends into, uh, you know, it blends into the platform. So it seems like that could be a, a, you know, big takeaway for all businesses now that video doesn't have to be this thing that is, you know, placed on a pedestal and, and an expensive undertaking that happens once in a blue moon, but it can be part of the culture and part of the way we communicate. Yeah. I think in a, in a lot of ways, the big part of my job in the last week and a half has been how do I allow people to see the opportunity in all of the, the muddiness and find the silver linings and be positive in general about where they should be taking their content, video or written. And like where that's led people is, is having just a lower, a lower threshold of what they, what they're 
saying no to. And oftentimes, again, it's not the videographer, it's the people that the videographer needs to get approval from. It's like the C-level people in an organization and the managers and, and all of these people that are sort of looking at video with a 40 foot pole, just too far out of the, the, the forest. And now those people are, are saying anything goes. Like we just gotta, we need a momentum. We just need to try things. Like now is not the time to be conservative with what we're doing. Let's just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. And that's where I think videographers have this opportunity to say, look, your sales team's listening to you for the first time, probably ever since you've gotten this job and your manager is saying yes to anything that you want to do. So go find the opportunity in the water and become like an owner in your organization and somebody that's seen as like direct authoritative and educational at the same time. I was going to say a lot of my client calls have been around like, how do we pivot? What do we adjust to? And Truly, it's like inbound marketing at its finest right now because you have to have a testing mind. You have to be flexible to testing different, you know, website copy. You have to be flexible to creating different social posting. And a lot of it, we, we don't have the ability to go back and look at metrics and analytics and say, well, we know this is going to work. We know that sending an email on three o'clock on Wednesdays is going to work because that's what this article says. This is a time where it's like, get out and do, and it doesn't have to be perfect. We still want to have high quality, but we need to be producing content and we need to be gauging where the audience is because for better, or for worse, most businesses after this are not going to look the same. Your target audience might not look the same. Like everything about your business might be different after this. And if you're not using this time to experiment and learn and you're relying on the world pre COVID-19, you, you're really not putting yourself into a, a valuable business position going forward. Yeah. And that's why I think everybody, every business can relate to the idea of like, we're all flying the ship while we're building it right now, which is, it's healthy in a lot of ways. Um, the businesses that I think are going to win in this time are the ones that are allowing themselves to think out of like the box of being like reactive business specific stuff and realizing that there's opportunity for a voice needed in every industry. Think way more industry wide, build content that's not meant just for like these little like pinpointed times that is going to wear off, but like start to own a voice that a lot of people are have their ear to the ground looking for right now. I would agree with that. And it, okay, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. All of you have made references to all of those emails from companies about what they're doing about the coronavirus. I had to write that email. I had to do it for impact because they do the latest. So thanks a lot, you big jokers. You messed uh, up, Liz. Uh, did you read it, Will? Big time mess up. No. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. This is fine. Friendship. Um, but to the point about testing, the reason I brought that up was not just to be salty. Um, but I remember when I had to write that email, it took me four or five attempts because it's like, oh, this is fine. I just have to write it on the day that, you know, 18 different states have gone through like shelter in place orders and done all of these different things. Like, how do I not screw this up? <laughs> and oh my God, sorry about that. Um, I sat there and I looked at the clock and I realized I had written four different versions of an email, finally landed on one, and it was 8.45 at night. And our newsletter has, goes out at varying different times of the day. We try to keep it, you know, at least before like 3.30 or so. 
Um, and I thought I had really screwed up and I'm like, you know what? It's still, it's got to go out. The latest has to go out. It goes out Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. My mug's got to be in somebody's inbox and let's just see what happens. And I assumed it was going to completely tank. I thought Bob was going to call me whenever I get a call from Bob. I'm always terrified. Um, I thought Bob was going to tell me and uh, it was tone deaf and why was it late? I thought nobody was going to open it or read it. So even if it was bad, thank God, no one would see it. And it turned out it had one of our highest open rates and it didn't really land in people's inboxes until like nine, nine fifteen. So I think a lot of the rules don't apply right now to your point, Brian, like be willing to experiment with the things that you're doing. Uh, if I got a couple of responses to that issue the, that night and people were saying, you know, it's just nice to see you being a human, you know, and I think people are really appreciative of that right now. And they're going to understand if you falter a little bit, if things are going out at that exact 3 p.m. best practice time or whatever. Um, I want to bring this discussion to a close, though, before I get into my sneaky sneak learning corner question. Um, I want to ask you each to tell me from your perspective, Will from video, Brian from the content strategy piece, and John from your perspective as the content manager, what is one thing you shouldn't be doing right now? Similar to what we said before, I think you should not be taking your foot off the gas. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important to talk about what's going on and, and, and let that inform some of what you're doing, but that should be in addition to your editorial plans that have existed in, in, in the past. I, I think do what got you here, keep doing it, trust that for now, even as we're saying test and, and reevaluate. Um, but I don't think it's a time to panic and completely abandon your plans. I would say that it's important now more than ever not to make decisions based on fear. A lot of businesses right now are, they're cutting things like marketing in general that to your point, Sean, like it's time to double down. I can see and hear Marcus Sheridan in 2008 and nine right now, like on this call, just silently nodding. And there's no reason to, to not see this as only like an opportunity that's that's waiting around the corner so don't do anything that's business specific that's going to dry up in in a week and still speak to your audience still make it for that one person that one client that you've had that one conversation with but own it at an industry level right now and be the voice of your industry because your industry needs it now more than than it ever has I would say that continuing to rely on what has previously netted you success in terms of content creation is going to be like the downfall of a lot of businesses. Um, I'm looking and reading about pivots that people are making and people that have never done webinars before are doing webinars. They're easy to do. People that have never really spent a ton of time on social and tried to do social publishing are seeing success there. Um, there are a lot of avenues which you probably have put off due to time and importance constraints that you can test now that you might not have the flexibility or freedom to do when things normalize that you can capitalize on right now. I would say from my corner of the world, um, don't stop listening if you're a content manager. The people around you right now are extremely busy. 
you are trained to think from a, this should be a piece of content mindset and they, the people around you have deprioritized that reflex that you've been trying to get them to, to develop more than ever before. Um, so some of the pieces that I'm writing, some of the interviews I'm having John take on with our experts, virtually all of them were born out of me being a fly on the wall or involved in a conversation and hearing something and going, that needs to be something we need to put in front of somebody else. For example, we did that town hall that one of you referenced earlier and I sat in on it. And one of the things that was happening in parallel during that was on our Slack channel. I created a group thread and said, if you're listening to this, these are the list of topics I have so far coming out of this. Type any in a thread and tell me what you're hearing and what should be an article. And we walked away with like 20 different topics out of a single town hall discussion. Um, and some of it we were able to just take the transcript and repurpose. So we didn't even have to go back for, to square one and have someone be like, hey, uh, you said something real smart. Can you do that again? But into this microphone, like we didn't have to do that. The work was already done for us. So don't stop listening. They don't hear the stories that you're hearing and just be aggressive and go after it. All right. Well, normally at this point we do what we're reading and learning corner. Um, I'm not reading anything except for all the stuff I'm supposed to be editing. That's pretty much all I read at this point. Otherwise I pretend I'm functionally illiterate. So instead, I am going to ask a heavy question that I promise I will also answer, so you won't be alone, but I am reserving the right to go last. And that is this week's learning corner. What is the most tough and surprising lesson you have learned about yourself since this whole thing started about 10 days ago? I've learned in these 10 short yet very long days that I am not nearly as independent as I like to think I am. I'm cagey as hell. I'm sick of talking to my family and yet we're all at this weird kooky state of like everything's funny and everyone's a derp. Um, but I've, I've picked up the phone and just started FaceTiming people I haven't talked to in years because I'm craving some sort of human interaction right now. And I'm not as like lone ranger as I think the will 15 days ago would have fantasized and romanticized about. <laughs> I will follow that and, and echo some of what Will said. I think I've maybe long held remote work as this ideal that, that it, it would be so easy. You just work from home and go make yourself a sandwich. And uh, there are incredible and unforeseen challenges. And, and I think, Impact is more prepped for this than most, although I'm not nearly as prepped as the three of you because I've never done it full time, but I, I usually work from home once or twice a week. But doing it full time is a real challenge. And some of those challenges are staying connected with your, your coworkers and, and missing those like quote unquote water cooler type moments. Um, I, I, another big challenge that I found and I, I think I'm not alone is being able to set up boundaries that allow me to take a break to to actually make that sandwich, which I end up not doing, um, you know, to be able to close my computer at the end of the day. I think we have, or in, in, in a traditional office situation, you have a commute that, that really bookends the day and allows you to transition mentally and, and emotionally between your home life and your work life. And absent that, uh, it, it's, it's essential that you put up boundaries. And um, that's what I've learned over these past, as Will says, very short, very long 10 days. 
feel like I've been hypercritical of my efficiency and productivity. And since this has all happened and um, I've been kind of contained to the house, typically I would go to a market or something and that would be some downtime over the course of the day. Um, but in looking at like the landscape of my current client base, um, one of the things that I've realized the last like 10 days is like, I am not doing things as efficiently as I could be. Um, knowing that I have a ton of time right here in front of this computer that on a traditional work from home day, I would get up and make a sandwich. I would take a break. Um, now that I can't do a ton of those things outside of the house, um, I'm trying to find ways to uh, test and optimize my productivity because it's, it's not even the same for people that are used to working for like remotely. It is a different world even then. And I think it requires a higher threshold of like productivity because my norm has changed, even though I'm a work from like work remote employee, you know, 365 days of the year, everything has kind of changed for me as well in terms of my norms. And it's challenging me to think about how I can use my workday more productively. Liz? I'm going to answer. Don't worry. I wasn't going to sneak out. I, although I literally almost thought for a second about being like, thanks guys for joining me and just like frantically like turning off the recording button being like, Oh no, not going to work. Okay. Um, I will answer. Hmm. So similar to Will, I've always thought of myself as the very lone rangery independent type. Um, and I think for good reason, you know, I moved out on my own when I was 19. I have woken up in the morning one day in Florida and decided in a week from now, I don't want to be living here anymore and move to a different state, like way up the East coast. Like I've done big life things before. I've always kind of, you know, marched to the beat of my own drummer. Um, what's the, the toughest and most surprising lesson I think I've realized over the past 10 days is how much I really don't challenge myself around the why behind the way I am sometimes. Um, I, I had to come to grips with the fact that I was actually a pretty angry person last week, just about circumstances and just with everything going on. And I've spent a lot of time, I've made a lot of time and prioritized it for myself of spending a lot of time with myself and finally having the tough conversations that I don't think I've ever had. Like, well, why are you this way? Why are you so independent? Why do you insist on being this way? And I think some of the things that I leaned into over the past week, you know, as someone who's a part of the management team and, and manages a team of people, it's very easy to mask over your own needs and lie to yourself and say, well, I need to be here for my people right now. And John, you called me out on that during retro today. And <laughs> both you and Ramona did. Um, and so that's been, it's not one big, tough surprise lesson. It's a bunch of little ones that I realized how much I don't question myself and how much more I need to do that. So the solitude, I think, was really grating for me at first, but I think it's because I spent a lot of time avoiding having those conversations with myself. That's my answer. All right. And on that uplifting and cheerful, cheerful note, uh, Brian and Will, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, on a quick housekeeping note, um, 
as listeners have kind of caught on to, we sometimes change the order of when we're publishing episodes and sometimes things will be uh, recorded weeks in advance. Um, since John and I are clearly busy trying to navigate these waters for impact, editorially speaking, um, you're going to hear some episodes where we'll reference things like DSMW coming up in April. Clearly that's not true. It's now in November and December. So just hear that, understand that obviously those things have changed. If you want more information about how things have changed, go to digitalsalesandmarketingworld.com. Um, also check out Digital Sales and Marketing Day, which you can learn more about on the website, which is happening in April on the 6th. Uh, and other than that, uh, Brian, Will, if other people have questions or just want to bother you about things, how can they find you? If they can, maybe the answer is they can't. Go to MySpace, um, <laughs> look at my, my tag there. The, Your top five. Four hours a day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, email me is probably the easiest way, um, which is just bkc at impactbnd.com. Awesome. I'm harder to reach, um, but find me on LinkedIn and check out the FSM podcast where we talk only about video and it's way cooler. What's FSM stand for? Film school for marketers. If you're a marketer and you want to learn how to do video, come spend some time at film school for marketers. <laughs> what was that weird delivery? I, know, I started to feel like I was going into a radio host thing there. It was like... You definitely, you definitely I'm whispering very close to the microphone. <laughs> I really wish that part was on video. We could just <laughs> repurpose that part on video <laughs> that and was, put that on there. That might just be the featured image for this episode is just awkward. <laughs> and now the dulcet tones. Okay. It's the gift of going in and out. <laughs> Your whole life is a gift, Will. Jesus. All right. Well, we're all professionals here. You should trust everything that we just said. And uh, John? until next week or actually until next week oh actually until 10 minutes from now because i actually have some questions for you about some other stuff but everyone else bye